Hello, friends, and welcome to Our Powers Within Podcast. I'm your host, Chasmith, and my mission for this podcast is to inspire you to take your power back and to realize that you are the healer that you've been looking for all along. I want to start out by asking for your support. If you are enjoying the content from this podcast and the guests I've had on the show, there are several ways that you can help support future episodes. Um, I know it seems... Like it's not a big thing, but if you click subscribe, you have every episode waiting for you in your podcast library and you won't miss a good one. And this helps me. Secondly, if you do um, feel I've earned it, you could leave a five-star rating on Apple podcast or a quick review. If you hit the back arrow right now, if you hit pause and you click the back arrow and you scroll all the way down, all you have to do is quickly click that little button. <laughs> and um, what else? You could share your favorite episode with a friend or even on your social media account and tag me at Our Power Is Within. And lastly, if you do feel called to share monetarily, there is a tip jar uh, link at the bottom of the show notes. Okay. So I got that out of the way. Let's talk weekly challenge. This week, I would like for each of us to think of one pattern in our life that we want to shift that will require us to take a small action step. So I'm going to give you a personal example. It's the best way I know how to explain this. So lately, I've been very aware that I've developed a pattern of um, early evening fatigue and exhaustion. I do not believe that this is actual exhaustion as much as it is a learned behavior. Having the occurrences of, you know, well, having been my perfect storm and then doing healing work and then the occurrences of 2020 and then moving across the country and not having any friends, um, I've gotten very comfortable with finding myself in this routine of just always being home by myself in the evenings. And it seems that my brain has gotten extremely settled into this uh, routine and very cozy with it. However, I know that I find a great deal of joy in simple things like getting outside to watch the sunset or to take an evening stroll or to have confidence that I can say yes to connecting with a friend someday as I begin to make friends, even even if I feel that fatigue or feel that tiredness in the moment. So my commitment to myself has been to break this pattern one small action step at a time. The first thing that I've been doing these past few weeks is I have been waiting until after dinner when it's already dark outside to go walk Coco. This is often faced with resistance from my brain. Um, I always almost always want to convince myself that I'm just too tired to go on a walk. But the truth is, once I get outside and I get all the way around the block, I find I am most often feel rejuvenated and even energized by the time I get home. I love staring up at the black sky and all the stars and the peacefulness of the evening. And it just feels really awesome. And I also find that it helps me have more mental clarity for the remainder of the evening. And to me, this is evidence that the fatigue response is absolutely a learned behavior and not true exhaustion. 
but it can be tricky. <laughs> and as the weather is warmer and nicer, I would like to make a commitment to myself um, that one, just, you know, baby steps. So I want to start out with one day per week, I want to go watch the sunset. It seems like such a little thing, but it's the little by little by little over time that sends a new message to our brain and creates a new state of being. The saying to think greater than we feel is not just about thought, it's about action. So I ask you today, what small action steps could you begin to take to shift out of an old pattern or a learned behavior into living the life you love? And as always, feel free to share with me if you do feel up to it, because I love hearing what's going on in your worlds. All right. And now for our guest today, I have Catherine Hoosh. Hoosh. Catherine, I'm sorry if I'm saying this wrong. Um, Catherine is a nurse coach as well as a GNM GHK uh, teacher. For those of you who aren't familiar with those terms, GNM and GHK stands for Germanic Healing Knowledge, German New Medicine. I have two previous episodes on this topic. If you have not listened to them, I do encourage you to go back and give those a listen. I will link them in the show notes. Um, Catherine is the founder of an amazing community platform called the Chronic Wellness Collective, which is designed to bring people together to heal in community. With this collective, she has various coaches that offer their own unique services to support members through their healing journeys. Catherine also has a community program within the collective based on the principles of GNM and GHK to help people discover the root cause of their symptoms and get their power back to heal their bodies. Catherine is extremely passionate about GNM and GHK, and she is always doing what she can to help meet people where they're at and support them on their journeys. And she offers amazing content on Instagram every day. So, um, Definitely encourage you giving her a follow. With that said, let's welcome her to the show. All right, Catherine, thank you so much for being here with me today and everyone listening. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I am excited. Um, I just released this week as we're recording this, uh, another episode on GNM and I'm just, I'm loving like learning as much as I can about this stuff and sharing it. And there was a lot of really great feedback. So it sounds like people are curious. So I'm excited to have um, another person on who's very familiar with this knowledge and uh, share your wisdom with us. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I would like, if you don't mind, to start with having you share a brief background of just who you are, introducing yourself to the audience and where you're at today and what you do. All right. Well, I guess my journey with all of this started when I was a teenager. I was diagnosed with autoimmune disease, so I was a patient first, but then I went on to nursing school where I got my degree and worked as a registered nurse in all sorts of settings like hospital, doctor's offices, rehab, hospice for quite a few years, but I wanted something different. I didn't really like being in the clinical setting. I wanted to help people more one-on-one, which is when I found out about nurse coaching, which is what I do now. I have my board certification through the American Holistic Nurses Association, and I work with patients and clients as a nurse coach in my private practice. Wow. I've never even heard of this. What does that, what does that, what does that mean? Like, what does that entail? Cause I've, yeah, I've never heard of nurse coaching. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, within nursing, there are so many different specialties that people can choose to be trained in. You know, you have labor and delivery, you have ICU, you have emergency medicine. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, coaching is its own modality, its own specific practice. And so to learn to engage with clients as a coach, but with a nursing background became its own certification in recent years. And as soon as I learned about it, I was like, yes, that's it. That's what I want to do. (laughs) That is awesome. So do you still work in a, like, do you work, do you go to work and work in a hospital or some type of like clinic setting? Or is this literally you finding your own clients and working um, on your own? like either in person or uh, via Zoom or what have you? Yeah, so three years ago, I left my last clinical job, which was hospice, home care. And I love that, but I was just getting more and more busy in my private practice. So I work from home via Zoom, my computer, the phone, and I literally have clients all around the world. Oh, that is absolutely awesome. I'm curious where in this like timeline did you learn about uh, German new medicine or shamanic healing knowledge and uh, start to one incorporate that in your healing journey and then two have the interest to pursue it um, in order to be a teacher of it. My journey to Germanic healing knowledge was like a lot of practitioners in that. I had been working with clients, you know, for 15 or so years, and I had been seeing these patterns of, you know, specific trials and challenges going on in a person's life or their psychology or their emotional makeup that seemed to mirror itself in specific diagnoses. Like, for example, this is just a generalization, but I noticed a lot of my clients that dealt with really deep self-esteem issues would have symptoms like fibromyalgia. And I was making these intuitive connections in my mind, but you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a researcher, so I didn't have the clinical data and case studies to back it up until I was working with a client who also was a practitioner. And I shared with her some of my observations about her symptoms and how they seem to match with her life experiences. And she said, you know, I remember a long time ago studying about the work of this German doctor, Dr. Hammer or something, and he made that same connection. And immediately I was like, I have to learn more about this. Like, I want the medical scientific data to help me make these connections that are already there in my brain, but nobody wants to hear just Catherine's intuition about something. So that was how I found what was at the time still called German New Medicine. And I, it, it was the same thing about this calling to be a nurse coach. I was just like, yes, this is it. This is, this is what makes my life's work make sense now. <laughs> gotcha. And in your personal experience, did you, um, did you have anything like through your experience of learning German new medicine, did you have any relief or recovery or healing in your own personal body, your own personal experience through this knowledge? Yes, a hundred percent. And I'm not talking a hundred percent miraculous healing, but of course, once I started looking into Germanic healing knowledge, the first thing I wanted to look up was my symptoms and the autoimmune disorder that I was diagnosed with at 18 was ulcerative colitis. And I always felt that it was related to my upbringing. I grew up in an environment where there was, 
just a lot of anxiety and anger and not a lot of space for me to voice my true opinion on things. Um, and so I constantly felt very restricted and my gut would feel tight. And I just, I knew that somehow I was carrying other people's anger, like as my own, because as a child, I felt I had the emotional intelligence to process what the adults around me couldn't. But I knew that it took its toll physically and why when I was a young adult, I was just slammed with all of these symptoms that were really debilitating and really negatively impacted my life for a long time. So of course, like I'm flipping through the materials and I look up, um, you know, the large intestine ulcerative colitis and boom, right there, it says, you know, healing phase of an indigestible morsel conflict, meaning a situation in life that's just really difficult to digest or process and usually specifically related to anger. And I was like, yes, you know, that is the environment that I grew up in. And the fact that it was a healing phase, meaning when the conflict has been resolved and your nervous system shifts into a state of safety and then your body begins repairing itself made absolute sense because the first morning that I ever woke up with symptoms was also the first morning in my entire life that I was ever away from my family. <laughs> and I love my family deeply. So this is not, you know, we have to be careful when we're presenting this information that it's not a blame. No, it isn't like my family made me sick, but there were some unhealthy dysfunctional patterns in my family. And then the way my psyche perceived that affected my biology. And so it makes complete sense to me that when I finally had like a little space, I was 18, I was home alone for the first week of my life. All of a sudden my body was like, ah, oh, peace, <laughs> breathe. And then my colon, says repair mode. And I went into this intense flare bulb, ulcerative colitis, and then got diagnosed. So it's fascinating. And it never is, you know, a coincidence. Right. And then it's so crazy, though, because based on um, like the old kind of the old paradigm around what symptoms mean, I, you, you know, I'm not sure where you were at then. You didn't, might have not, you didn't, it sounds like you didn't know about German new medicine at the time. Well, we get symptoms and of course we're taught to like, oh my God, what did I do wrong? What's going on? What's wrong with me? And then there's fear and worry. And then you go and do all these testing and then you, you think you want a diagnosis, but really a diagnosis in and of itself can be so, can be a tr like a trauma. And you know, especially if you get a diagnosis where they're like, oh, there's no cure. It's like that can create a whole nother world of conflict uh, internally. Um, and then, you know, it's just like this, this domino effect from there. So, and I definitely went down that route. So my family is a, all from conventional medical training. We have doctors and nurses. Um, my mom was kind of like the odd one out in the family. She was very holistically minded into all sorts of natural medicine. And so when she, when her daughter, her oldest daughter became sick, she was like, I need to heal her. And so I remember coming home from college one day and she had completely emptied the pantry and was like feeding me squash and goat cheese because she had read some article somewhere that that was going to heal my gut. And so we did the restrictive elimination diets and I did the detox and I did the stress management and I did all the things that, you know, you're supposed to do, but I still really struggled with cycles of flare ups that put me in the hospital, you know, every two to three years throughout my young adulthood. 
Hmm. Knowing what you know now about the Germanic healing knowledge, how could you explain what was actually happening from that perspective, from the new paradigm for the continuation of symptoms um, happening? Mm -hmm. And especially when they say that the symptom is a healing sign. And so it sounds like you were stuck in like a hanging healing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you could maybe explain that for people who are listening to understand, because I know that's a really hard one to grasp. Yeah, so my specialty is working with women that have chronic symptoms. So we're talking about women that have hanging healings like myself. Anytime you're dealing with flare-ups of something that's chronic, you know, more than three to six months. And if you look at the way our biology is supposed to work, we're supposed to experience like a time-limited shocking conflict and our body adapts to help us cope and resolve the conflict. And once the conflict passes, You know, we go into repair mode and the next six to eight weeks might be uncomfortable. There might be pain or digestive issues, but then it works itself out and you move on with your life, usually stronger than before. What happens in the case of a hanging healing, a chronic illness, what conventional medicine calls a quote autoimmune disease, which is not a term that we use in Germanic healing knowledge, um, is usually for example, the, the conflict has not been so time limited. It may be ongoing, as mine was, growing up with continued dysfunctional patterns, which again, like no shame, <laughs> who of us doesn't have some level of dysfunction in our family today? Um, but then what happens is, okay, so I experienced this relief. I had some time alone. My body went into repair mode, but then that was only a week. Then I was back in situations where I felt I didn't have a voice, where I still was dealing with anger of adults around me. So I even took a year to move away and like try and find my peace and my path in life separate from my family. I was 18 years old, you know, stepping into adulthood. But the thing about how our psyche is programmed from such a young age is we learn to identify as normal certain patterns of behavior. And then unbeknownst to us, as long as this remains, you know, an unconscious, subconscious pattern, we continue to attract into our lives conflicts with similar themes. So suddenly I didn't have, you know, a good parent who also you know, didn't know how to communicate well, but I was suddenly working for employers or I had professors in nursing school that I was, you know, seeing reflected in my relationship with them, the same patterns. So my intestines are continuing to get this message that you're not safe. This is an indigestible morsel. You're once again confronted with someone's anger. You don't know how to process it. You're holding it in. You can't speak up for yourself. And then, you know, the semester would end or I'd get another job. So I would go have a moment of relief and there, boom, would be another ulcerative colitis flare up because I'm just you know, resolving and repairing from the latest conflict that continues to come to my life in the same theme. And so when I look at the timeline of all my flare-ups and every single time I was in the hospitalization, my most recent hospitalization was when I left that job in hospice three years ago. It was a toxic work environment. (laughs) I was working for employers where I was dealing with the same sort of like passive aggressive anger. I couldn't speak up. And as soon as I left, it was like, boom, in the hospital with a massive flare up of everything that I'd been holding in for the previous two years. So that is when, you know, the task 
comes for us. Like, how do I bring to my awareness and my consciousness these themes that are running in the background and controlling my life and continuing to put me in situations where I'm having the same conflicts? And then how do I consciously change those patterns and create a new version of my life moving forward, a new version of myself that is no longer susceptible to attracting and enduring those same conflicts. Mm, I really love that explanation. So thank you for Mm -hmm. that. And I would love if you would give some insight into um, how to do that, how Mm -hmm. to do exactly what you just posed as what, what needs to be done next. And if I know there's different approaches and different ways to do this, but in your experience, what have you found are some of the, um, the tools or modalities or just general approaches that you take to creating that perception shift to find like having the awareness and then creating that change so that we don't keep attracting the same situations in our life over and over again. Yeah. And that's a great question. And that is a discussion that we have a lot in the GNM GHK community is, you know, collaborating between each other. Like, how do you do that resolve piece? How do you resolve the conflict? Because when you first learn about it, it's really exciting. Like, wow, this is why I have my symptoms, but oh no, what do I do about it now? Like I see this pattern in my relationships and things. So there are so many wonderful modalities out there. And I think even parts of conventional medicine are shifting to see the value in things, um, you know, like somatic experiencing, like emotional relief work, like the polyvagal theory, like brain repatterning, uh, repatterning. And so I kind of, work with a great team of coaches and practitioners where we incorporate all of these things. And just like someone who, uh, you know, follows the path of conventional medicine and it's trial and error of different medications until they find symptom relief, it can be a bit of trial and error in finding the modality that you, that works for you and your psyche. And a big part of that is, is it a modality that you believe in? So I have my toolbox that I teach my clients and I, I tell them, you know, take what works the best for you and leave the rest. Um, but ultimately I've seen that it's not as much a matter of the specific tool that a person chooses to use you could find relief and resolution through any of these tools. In fact, many people accidentally find resolution. Um, For example, they might start eating a certain type of diet and say, this cured my symptoms. What was really happening was under the surface, their subconscious was perceiving that in pursuing this diet, that they were finally showing themselves love and tenderness and care. And they felt, you know, I am worthy. I am safe. I am loved. I'm cared for. And that in itself resolve the conflict and allow them to heal. So what I'm saying is more than the tool, it's how you perceive that tool, how ready you are to believe that that tool can help you and how ready you are to make that jump to say, I want to do life completely differently. I don't want to keep viewing things the way I viewed them. I don't want to keep doing things the way that I've done them. I want to be a new version of myself. And whenever somebody is ready to make that leap, then whatever's put in front of them could be a vehicle to help them accomplish that. That's very well said as well. I like that. Um, Yes, I say all the time, it's not one tool. And I love how you remind us that it's not about the specific tool, but how you how you perceive the tool and how you use the tool, because 
our intention, our heart and how we show up and the power of belief is so strong, you know, like, I don't know what your insight is, but like Dr. Uh, Melissa Sell and I were just talking about how there's still this concept of like the power of belief and, um, you know, so it's like sometimes it's like, well, did this happen because I believed it so strongly or, you know, because there's a biological program happening in my body? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, so that is powerful for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what are a couple of your favorite go to's for you or what you've noticed that most of your clients tend to really gravitate towards? Yeah, I, I think, you know, anything that allows us to feel safe to tune into our body sensations, which are so much information and messages about our nervous system, you know, whether we're in conflict or whether we're in repair and anything that allows us to safely tune into our emotional state and process and release those emotions is definitely a big part of it. Uh, Those are things that I don't think we're taught from a young enough age. And so many of us grow up experiencing different forms and levels of trauma and learning that our bodies are an unsafe place, learning that our emotions are too much for people. And so we stuff it all down. And when we're stuffing, we're not resolving. You know, we're not moving through the conflict. And so another big part of the work that I do and the training that I've received is to be a trauma-informed coach, not helping people uh, treat trauma. You know, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a psychologist, but helping people understand, you know, how the trauma is expressed in their current body, in their current emotions, in their current beliefs and thoughts, and then helping them create together the space that feels safe for them to work through that because I was one of those people who, who didn't have that safe space. I didn't have it in my family. Yes, I was loved, I was cared for, I was safe in a physical sense, but many of us of a certain generation have parents and grandparents that they didn't learn how to process their emotions and have you know an attunement with their body and, and they were in survival mode. You know, they, had to, they lived through the Great Depression and other life events and they just had to, to survive and so that got passed down to us and so now, that we have a little more space in our lives um, where we can maybe address the things that our ancestors couldn't. Uh, It's all to me about creating a better relationship with our bodies because that's where all the information is and partnering with somebody that can help us feel safe to bring it to our awareness and work through it rather than keeping it repressed and stuffed down where it's gonna continue to manifest itself through physical symptoms. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And in your experience, um, it, cause there's some people who are like, Oh, there, there's like a resistance, like, Oh, do I have to really bring up and trudge through and go through and unpack all that deep, mm-hmm. dark stuff. Mm-hmm. And in your experience, I, I don't know if, um, if you feel that that's not always necessary for us to still heal. Yeah. I don't think it's ever necessary. In fact, I love therapy and traditional talk therapy and CBT can do a lot to bring to an awareness like our unconscious patterns. So to all my therapists out there, I love you and I'm not throwing any shade. At the same time, I think focusing too much in the past and continuing to talk about and rehash past situations can do more harm than good. You keep the conflict alive. You keep your body in fight or flight. It's very re-triggering, re-traumatizing. 
So the work I do is focused in two places. It's focused in the present and it's focused in the future. Because in the present, we don't have to know what happened. We only have to know how it's still showing up in my body. You know, if I am confronted with an angry person, I still notice my body wanting to become tight and shut down and contracted in a protective self-survival mode. I don't need to think about all the times people got angry or were abusive towards me in the past. I'm just noticing right now in the present, I'm still having this self-protective response. So I can learn tools to shift that so that when I'm confronted with someone's anger, I feel empowered and expansive and relaxed and able to protect myself. And that's gonna send a completely different message to my psyche. Does that make sense? It really does. Mm -hmm. So can you give me one practical example? Because I feel like when people are listening, they it's so good to have like a really practical example. So mm -hmm. like for you, since you have an experience with the anger, could you give mm -hmm. one example of how you used one tool to step into that empowerment and um, and and shift the way your body was physiologically responding to a situation where there might have been infused anger? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so anger is a huge trigger for me. In fact, you know, I've, I still notice times when I go into reflective reactive mode and I am just mirroring the anger right back at them because I'm trying to protect myself because I feel so threatened. But I have been able to do a lot of work and growth over the past few years to starting with the thought and the conscious awareness of like, wow, this person in front of me is angry they're experiencing anger right now. And then checking in with myself, is this my anger? No. <laughs> Am I responsible for their emotional state? No. I had to change those beliefs, but now I, I wholeheartedly know that I'm not responsible for somebody else being angry. So that's easy for me to accept. But if, if that wasn't easy to accept, I'd have to do some work around that belief to change it, you know? And the second thing is like, okay, so I'm on, on a brain level acknowledge that they're angry and it's not my responsibility but now what's the sensation showing up in my body okay my heart is racing and my face is flushing and my stomach is feeling in knots those are just sensations they're not dangerous they're sending me a message that I feel threatened by this person's anger and I can thank my body and say thank you I know you feel threatened this is all happening internally in a matter of split seconds and I have my tools like my breathing techniques, my breath work. I have literally places on my body that I know are pressure points. And I teach these to my clients where I just start massaging myself and I start having this inner dialogue like you are fine and you are safe. And this person's anger is not about you. I'm literally just having this like conversation, walking myself through it. And this is something that I train my clients to do. And sometimes after I've taken a deep breath and, and grounded myself, and this person is still continuing to perhaps express anger towards me, it's like I can offer them a choice. Like I can let them know that I don't engage with people that speak to me angrily anymore just because it's too activating. So would you like to have this conversation in a different state or would it be better if I came back at another time? But it's, it's all realizing like I have choice I don't have to just sit here and take it. Maybe I did when I was a kid because I didn't have as many choices, but I'm an adult now. And I can literally just say, I'm not comfortable with this and I'm going to leave the room, but I'll be here when you're ready to have a calmer conversation. <laughs> you know, like 
they may not have done the work to realize that they have a choice to not be angry. Right now, they're just seeing me as the person that's causing their anger. And then ultimately, whenever it's any kind of confrontation like that, which is so triggering to me, if I choose to leave it and exit and not continue to be exposed to it, I have to go perform a lot of self-care, a lot of just being gentle with myself and helping myself feel safe because, you know, on a psyche level, that it can be a conflict, it can be a track, it can be a trigger. And so over time, though, I find I'm less affected by people's anger. Um, the last time this happened to me, I was in the car with somebody and became the target of their anger and could not escape from it. I needed them to give me a ride back home, but I told them I no longer wanted to engage. But I knew. I said, I know I just got conflicted there. I felt it in every cell of my nervous system. And I waited for the repair phase to hit. And sure enough, the next morning I woke up and I had symptoms of colitis for about three hours and then it passed. So it's powerful for me to see that where a conflict like that is something I could have ruminated on and it could have grown and it could have escalated over months and months and then finally had a resolution. I'd have a horrible flare up and end up in the hospital again. I was able to recognize in a matter of minutes that this was a trigger. This was activating a conflict. I needed to remove myself. I needed to resolve it in my own mind. And then next day I had a slight healing phase and I moved on from it. So that's the big shift that I've seen in my own health. That's amazing. Um, because <laughs> the, the, the thing too is you, you knew, you know now what symptoms mean. So when you wake up and you have these symptoms, you're not going into panic and fear and self-devaluation and worry and um, making it a bigger deal than it is. You're like, okay, this is going to happen. This happened. I understand why. And it's, and then I'm just going to keep going with my life. Mm -hmm. Therefore, down-regulating the experience of the mm -hmm. symptoms. Exactly. And boundaries you know that's the part that i love about therapy is like learning to set boundaries means i set boundaries on how large this conflict is going to get because preserving my health is a priority to me and i'm just not going to put up like literally i joke with my colitis i'm not putting up with that crab anymore <laughs> <laughs> right yes that's awesome it's definitely sounding like it sounds like your new way of being and approaching is very much more empowering than in the past Wow. And it's, it's so interesting because in so many other like paradigms or understanding of symptoms, I know I've been so guilty of this myself. And I, I know I've spoken to so many people who've had this experience where you say you're doing all this healing work and you're feeling better and you're feeling really better. You don't know about say GNM or you don't understand symptoms the way that you just explained them. And you're doing all this work and some say you're using some type of program or modality or tool or another for healing and you're feeling better and you're feeling better and you're continuing to do this mental and uh, work and all this other stuff. And then one random day you wake up and you have this crazy, um, like crazy symptoms. I know like my old MO would be to go, oh my God, what did I do wrong? And that is what creates this like downward spiral. It's like shaming myself. I must have done something wrong. There's all kinds of self-devaluation. Like, oh, if I'm doing the wrong thing, I'm not good enough. I didn't try hard enough. Oh, I did. Maybe I didn't do the program perfect enough. And this can like create this cascade effect. So just knowing the meaning of symptoms is such a relief. Mm -hmm. 
It's so true. And the question becomes not what did I do wrong, but ooh, what did I do right or what works yes. here? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so so there we I do know and I know you even I you and I have even talked about this offline, but there's definitely an element to um, connecting dots to um, discovering like maybe the earliest memory we've had of a certain situation in life or um, like say conflict shock that led to like the very first um, uh, onset of symptoms, if you will. And for you, yours was really easy, at least in that symptom for you to connect the dots. Um, but for some people, their symptoms start as early as very, very, very young in childhood. And they have a really hard time um, discovering or consciously remembering or reconnecting with these memories. And so what are when you're coaching and supporting somebody, what are some of the questions or prompts that you can um, give to a person to help spark a memory uh, within their subconscious? Yeah, and that's where, you know, the work that I do is perhaps different from what some practitioners do because I really, really focus on the present and the future because the work that I do is with women who have chronic symptoms. It means that likely this has been building for a long time and there are lots of tracks and there are lots of triggers. So it's a very convoluted web of symptoms and conflicts and re-traumatizations. And so trying too hard to focus on digging up like the original conflict shock memory can be re-traumatizing in so many ways and leave people feeling frustrated and disempowered so i really ask my clients to look at the patterns in the present you know like i mentioned I looked at the timeline of all my flare-ups and hospitalizations, and it was after I left the job with a narcissistic abusive boss. You know, it's after I left a relationship where somebody had a substance abuse issue and I felt silenced. And, you know, it showed me these themes of conflicts that were re-triggering whatever the original one was. And, and I still can't tell you the exact moment in time that my uh, psyche flipped into conflict active mode and I first experienced the shock. It could for me have been at age two or three. You know, again, I grew up around a certain level of anger. But what helped me was the moment it resolved was the moment I had some peace and space from an environment that caused me that stress. And that told me that that environment was probably full of tracks and triggers. And I at least needed to avoid or decrease my contact with it for a while while I figured some other things out. And it started showing me that I needed to consciously try to change the pattern of the jobs that I was taking or seeking out or the relationships that I was entering into to really learn to check in with my body. Do I feel safe? Do I feel expansive and seen and able to voice my concerns and speak my truth in this situation? If not, I probably need to, you know, downgrade and then get the heck out of here. Because if I stay too long and continue repeating those old patterns of not sticking up for myself, I'm gonna land in the hospital again when I finally do leave. So that for me, <clears throat> that for me has become the imperative. It's like, if I'm feeling unsafe, silenced, 
being the target of other people's uncontrolled emotions, that is not a healthy place for me to stay. And I need to start working on an exit plan because I'm, I'm stuck in an old way of relating to the life around me. Okay. Yeah. And this is where it's like, you're becoming really proactive and taking personal responsibility for the choices that you make for mm-hmm. your life mm-hmm. to empower yourself to like make choices and create situations and relationships that support you, mm-hmm. which is not always easy to do, but worth it. Mm-hmm. What, um, so this makes sense, but, um, I can see how this really makes sense when you have, um, say symptoms that come and go. And then somebody can really begin to like observe like what's happening um, prior to or during um, what's around them. What are the, you know, people, places, uh, things that could be triggering. Mm -hmm. Um, But what about when somebody has continuous symptoms, like 24 seven symptoms for years on end? How then can we identify the the root cause? And again, that is the beauty of <clears throat> the beauty of GNM and GHK is that the symptom tells the story. You know, there's no mistake, there's no coincidence. If you have ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease and you're dealing with digestive symptoms of, you know, blood and mucus in your stool and ulcerations in the lining of your colon, <clears throat> sorry, um, then you are continually confronted with an environment in your life or a situation where you are not able to digest what's happening and it's usually a particularly angry or ugly you know situation and so you look for that and you do everything within your power you gather your resources you rally support and you you know dr homer believed that the best thing to do to resolve a conflict was you know, to make a change on a very practical level, like change the circumstance Um, uh, or, you know, things like a child that uh, experienced a separation conflict from a beloved pet that died, give them a stuffed pet so that they could reconnect with this new companion as soon as possible. So long story short is the conf, uh, the symptom tells a story of the conflict and then you look for that theme in your life. I'm going to be honest, I, I do get a lot of clients that come to me at first and they're, they're maybe not ready to take that honest look at their lives and acknowledge where these conflicts are happening. They may know on a intuitive level that, you know, I'm, I'm in an abusive relationship or I'm in a toxic job, um, but they're not ready to do something about that. And that's okay. My job is not to force that, um, but it is my job to hold space for them to continue to become more aware of those patterns in their life and help them feel safe and supported to eventually do something about it when they're ready. And that's going to look different for everyone based on their values and belief system. Um, But all this to say, you know, I get clients that come to me and say, I have no idea what could be causing this. There's a level of denial, which is a self-protective mechanism, but I continue to hopefully build trust in our relationship as, you know, as a coach and as my client that over time, the real issue finally bubbles up and they're ready to talk about it and they're ready to share. And I, of course, with my experience and I've worked with so many hundreds of people at this point, like I already probably knew that that thing was there, 
but I just had to wait until they were ready to share it and say, now I know I need to do something about it. And that happened to me just this week. Um, so I think it's really important, again, coming from a trauma-informed perspective that people don't feel rushed. I have to respect their process. It's when they're ready and in the capacity that they have to handle the conflict. But the conflict in those long, long, long-term symptoms um, is always there in some way, or, you know, like I said, the repeated patterns in other areas of life. And so it, this work is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> it takes courage and it takes the right time, you know, to really dive in and do it. Yeah, that makes so much sense. They say um, that the subconscious always knows, but mm -hmm. we just, it's like, but we have to be ready to receive it. Mm -hmm. Like it, like we always know deep down the truth of things, but it's gonna, we're gonna like know it consciously when we're really ready to receive it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So my other question then is what, what about in the case of um, like say extended tracks, like where it's actual, where we're getting triggered, um, where we're experiencing symptoms, not necessarily like you gave this great example of like you kept ending up in situations where you were um, experiencing this emotion of anger, which was triggering. And that is one element. But what happens when the brain does the, when, what happens when in the original conflict, the brain does that screenshot and then starts to um, associate other things or situations as the uh, threat perceived quote unquote perceived threat and then you get these um, um, like symptomatic responses to things like in the, the case of people with allergies so it's like not this person isn't getting angry over and over again but now their brain thinks that a certain seasonal uh, allergen is quote unquote dangerous or somebody has a sensitivity to a chemical smell because they were smelling that chemical in the moment of a conflict shock that the brain now perceives as the, the actual threat or, you know, on and on like a food sensitivity or, um, you know, j because the food was in the body at the time. Mm -hmm. So how do you support people to overcome these, these um, learned uh, perceived threats that the brain is experiencing and then therefore creating this uh, symptom response to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually have a great story about this one of my clients and she said, please share with anybody who questions the validity of GNM because uh, it was like a real eye opener for her. But she was experiencing the healing phase symptoms of like a major separation conflict. I mean, she would send me pictures while we were working together, head to toe hives, angioedema, swollen face, nearly anaphylactic reactions to certain foods. And what had happened was <clears throat> she was in uh, a marriage where she was experiencing like narcissistic abuse and infidelity and was really struggling because of her personal values and belief system. Like, do I stay or do I go? Do I stay or do I go? And she finally decided I have to go, you know, for my own health and the health of my child, I'm going to leave this marriage. And to prepare herself to do that, she was like, I need to be healthy. I need to be strong because this is going to be a challenge. So she was eating, you know, sweet potatoes, kale and boiled chicken, you know, the most simple nutrient-dense food she could think of. And she was just pounding them in, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. And so she then left. And finally, in the relief of being out of a household where she was, you know, really struggling and being gaslit and whatnot, 
immediately she went into this hives reaction. But then she's like, oh no, I must be reacting to food. So I'm, I'm going to continue eating, you know, just sweet potatoes and kales and boiled, boiled chicken. And any time in her life that she had like the slightest symptom or stress, she was like, I got to go back to that diet of sweet potato and kale and boiled chicken. But every time she would eat those things, she would be back in head to toe hives and, um, you know, angioedema. And people were like, the practitioners she was working with were so confused because they're like, you know, we, we can't, you can't eat a cleaner diet than that. So we don't understand what you're reacting to. And it was when she was in one of my programs that she was like, oh my gosh, Catherine, like, I totally understand the track now. That was the food that I was eating when I was preparing to leave. So my body is associating with that with the most stressful time in my entire life before I separated. And so now every time that I eat that, thinking that I'm nourishing my body, right, doing all the right things, eating clean foods, I my body is saying like, oh, okay, we must be getting ready to, you know, gear up for this really difficult, you know, uh, chapter in life again. And so she would have the same symptoms. So once she really brought that subconscious track to her conscious awareness and moved through it and was able to use the tools like the nervous system regulation, the somatic experiencing, the emotional release and brain rewiring tools to really tell the body like, no, you're safe now. You left that. You're never going back. It cannot haunt you anymore. She started sending me pictures of all the foods that she's able to eat, including those three that I mentioned, and just really Finally, her body has been, you know, reprogrammed to recognize that she is not in a threatened state um, and that the food was never really the threat anyways. And I know you uh, interviewed Dr. Melissa Sell, and she has this quote that I love, and I always <laughs> tell my clients with food sensitivities and intolerances, is that when the heart and mind are at ease, you can eat whatever you please. And it's so true. So if you're reacting to a specific food, you know, notice what your nervous system state is either directly before you're eating it, while you're eating it, or right after you eat it. And work on that relationship with your body, making sure that you are feeling calm and safe before eating a food that you have a reaction to. I did the same thing with nuts in my life. Um, I ate cashews during the time that my mother was diagnosed with cancer and I was starting a stressful new job. And then I had a huge breakout from cashews that I'd never reacted to in my life. And I'm finally now just reintroducing nuts back into my diet, remembering that if my heart and mind are at ease, I'm going to be safe and I'm going to be okay. But, but as one little like caveat there, I do recommend working with a practitioner to work through things like food intolerances and sensitivities just because some of the symptoms can be concerning, you know, if you don't have the right supervision. So I, I love to tell long stories, but I hope it's helpful <laughs> in helping somebody else make connections there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And okay. And in your experience through um, yourself and or the clients that you've um, encountered working through uh, the, you know, this um, school of thought, mm -hmm. um, what about if somebody has clearly it's evident in their like how their symptoms are displaying and they have um likely something uh external outside of them that is being perceived as a threat which is therefore causing symptoms but let's mm -hmm. say they don't even know what it is mm -hmm. like let's say they're like they've never gone down that crazy rabbit hole and they 
they're clearly having reactions, but they never figured like fine tuned and figured out, oh, it's this food or it's that food. Do you think they can still just with the knowledge and awareness, um, uh, like heal through it? That's where elimination diets can be helpful. You know, I think there's a misconception that an elimination diet will heal you, but really all you've done when you cut out whole food groups and drastically limit your intake is you've just like not exposed yourself to the triggers, but you haven't actually resolved them or healed from them. So an elimination diet allows you to take out some of the biggest offenders that most people react to and start with a really limited diet that you're not reacting to and then slowly add one thing in at a time. And if you add something in like dairy or gluten or a nut and you start to have symptoms, okay, there we go. This is something that I have a track around. Let me work on this one food at a time to make sure that when I eat it, I am in a, a state of ease, a state of safety, that I'm having a dialogue with my body, that I am safe. And then introducing it in small amounts and seeing how I respond. Again, like I'm really overgeneralizing this. I highly recommend working with a practitioner just so that you feel confident and safe. But long story short, <laughs> if I'm capable of that, elimination diets are a great way to identify which foods you might have tracks related to. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So now I have another question. <laughs> I'm going to shift gears just slightly. I am curious um, your thought on this. So we, we, it's very clear and evident that we can experience something in our life um, where we have a conflict shock um, from it. Like, uh, you know, whether it's um, something happens where we're, there's anger, there's an emotion, there's all these different like emotional things that could be a part of the conflict shock. In your experience or to your knowledge, can we actually have a physical trauma rather than an emotional trauma that um, still sends, like, still um, creates a conflict shock, essentially, that then, therefore, your body creates a biological program around that eventually has to have healing, a healing response? Like, for example, you fall really hard and you break a bone or you cut yourself really bad or you're in some type of physical accident. Can these elicit conflict shocks? Absolutely. Um, my nursing career started in rehab, like inpatient rehab. So I worked with patients that had, you know, spinal cord injuries or, you know, traumatically amputated limbs, like on a work accident or something. And, you know, if you break your neck or, or lose a leg, that's not in itself uh, a conflict shock. You know, that's an actual physical change to the body that's going to have its own set of symptoms. But the way we perceive that traumatic accident uh, is what can impact, you know, future conflicts related to it. So I'm trying, I'm racking my brain right now, like trying to think of a specific example. Um, but that's a really great question. So on the flip side, what is really interesting is if we have somebody that is prone to, for example, breaking a lot of bones or twisting a lot of, you know, ankles and tearing tendons and things like this. It's, it can be a case where they're not just accident prone, but if they're struggling with very serious uh, self-devaluation conflicts where the body is going through a state of weakening and then strengthening through the conflict and repair cycle, 
they can be more prone to accidents that lead to broken bones within depending on which phase of healing that they're in myself as an example i've never been a type of person to break a bone like i'm pretty solid on my feet i've always been an athlete um i just don't injure easily in that way however last year i was just walking out to my mailbox on my perfectly paved sidewalk and my right ankle gave out underneath me and i terribly sprained it and I was like, this is so strange. Like, well, I have great footwear and I'm on solid paved ground. Like, what happened? And in looking at what was going on in my life in the very recent past, I realized I had been experiencing a self-devaluation conflict. And that explained to me why my ankle was weakened and more susceptible to injury at that time, even though any other given day of the year, that's usually not something I struggle with. So I thought that that was a pretty powerful experience. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because they, especially, I'm not sure how familiar you are with like the work of um, Dr. Sarno and like the mind-body syndrome community, TMS, tension, myoneural syndrome. But that's something that's in a lot of Dr. Sarno's books is that like you have to even look at sometimes when a quote unquote um, injury happens, why? Mm -hmm. Why did that specific injury happen at that moment in time? Like Mm -hmm. it's not always necessarily like, like for them... Or from his perspective, it's like it's not necessarily always completely just pure random physical fluke. You know, Mm -hmm. there's something happening, like you said, in your situation, you were experiencing a self-devaluation that weakened that system, that part of the system. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it wasn't able to support you in the way it normally does. Mm -hmm. And um, and so it's interesting because the way. I, ha- I remember reading it in one of his books was how it can be, it's very much sometimes related like to psych, like psychological stuff. Like this is a really common thing where people are training really hard for like some type of race or a marathon or um, any kind of competition. Mm-hmm. And then they like sprain or tweak something like days before the event. Mm-hmm. And looking at it the way you just explained it, It's so interesting because it could totally be, you could ask like, um, okay, well, was it because there was some um, self-devaluation and some worry and fear around um, the event leading up to it that did weaken that part of the system? Or was it something where like kind of like where the power of the mind and something like psychologically essentially happens to in order to quote unquote, keep you safe, you know, because of fear of not winning or looking bad. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, it's just neat to kind of look at that. Yeah. Those performance self-devaluation conflicts are huge, like in the knees and things. So if you imagine like you're training for a marathon, something you've never done before, remember conflict shocks are like completely intense, distressing, isolating, nothing you could have prepared for. And uh, yeah, so that that like self doubt can really kick in, you know, this isn't just a jog down my street, this is a marathon. Oh my gosh, what if I can't do it? What if I make a fool of myself? What if I lose and your body's like, Oh, should we should we we be concerned? Should we activate the special biological program? All right. And then that's when we see the injuries. It's true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, so crazy to look at it that from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, what is your favorite thing about German new medicine and Germanic healing knowledge? I love to know the why. And I think most, <clears throat> most women that have dealt with chronic illness would agree that most of the agony comes from the not knowing. 
the why me, why now? You know, we try to stay out of that victim mentality, but you know, if you're an otherwise perfectly healthy 18 year old and you wake up one day and your digestion is completely altered and potentially life threatening, you're like, what did what did I do differently than the other 18 year olds? You know, like, did I did I eat too much fast food? Did I, you know, not drink enough water? You know, my mind asked all these questions. And um, at my sickest, when I was bedridden, like could not walk in and out of the hospital for months after my mom died, and I still didn't really know about German new medicine. I had a huge pity me party about, you know, this isn't fair. I just took the most loving care of my mother for three years until she died. And this, this is how, this is my reward or my repayment is I am incapacitated and I eat everything healthy and I'm a health coach and I, I know all the things I'm supposed to do. You know, what is this punishment? You know, even your faith and spiritual beliefs start to be questioned. Like, am I a bad person? Like, you know, the mind goes dark places when you're in pain and symptomatic. And so I love understanding the why that our bodies are beautifully designed. They're always trying to protect us, even though it can be aggravating and uncomfortable and painful and even life threatening. Like the goal of your body is not to fight you or to punish you. It's to protect you. And I find that in itself brings me personally so much peace and resolution. And I just been so happy to be able to bring that to other people whether it's, you know, my clients or just the community, uh, community on social media and sharing through my posts that like, let's take away the blame and let's take away the pity and let's just understand biology and then work with it instead of fighting it. Mm-hmm. That was so beautifully said. Thank you. Um, yeah, as you, it's interesting, as you were just saying that and giving that brief example of like, taking care of your mom and then ending up having symptoms yourself. Mm -hmm. Isn't that just, wow. Like that's exactly what happens so often. It's like the classic, like somebody had a heart attack six months after they finally retired Mm -hmm. or somebody, yeah, somebody like spent all these adult years, like um, taking, you know, being the primary caregiver for one of their parents only to then end up sick themselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, like, how you just said, when you understand this body of knowledge, you understand the why behind it Mm -hmm. and it can change your entire paradigm in how you then respond to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So awesome. I love this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So speaking of having this like passion to like, just share what you've, um, the wisdom you've gained through learning uh, this, um, this body of knowledge, how, um, and, you know, sharing, want to share it with your clients, sharing it with your community. Let's say that you only had one message that you could share with the whole world uh, for the rest of your life. What one message would that be? Your symptoms are not a mistake and your body was designed to heal and the tools are available to do that. That was concise and perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
what are some practical ways, in your opinion, that people, like if there's anyone who's listening and this is very new to them, but they're very much intrigued, right? Like we got, we got like a light bulb going on for them and they're like, I need to know more. I want to understand this. What are some practical ways for somebody who is maybe not at a place financially where they can afford to hire a coach or a teacher? How, um, how can they begin to learn more and support their own journey? A hundred percent. I am a proponent of finding community and community that's built around, you know, where you're trying to go in your life, because especially from a GNM perspective, the one of the main components of a conflict shock is that it's isolating, that you feel cut off from resources and support to effectively resolve a conflict. And so what I love in my programs is, yes, absolutely not everybody can afford to work with me um, one-on-one. And yet I find that my clients that work in a group setting, like a community with other women who are working on the same, you know, self-project, actually have even better results because they're sharing their experiences with each other and making identifications of conflicts and tracks and resolutions and you know, we hear ourselves reflected in other people's stories so often. I do know part of my mission, and um, I originally created a nonprofit, and we're no longer a nonprofit, but we still exist. And our mission is to make these things more accessible and more affordable to those that maybe have already exhausted a lot of financial resources because of chronic illness and medical treatment. So just personally, I always invite people to reach out to me. You know, if if this kind of message appeals to you, resonates with you, you think it's what you're looking for on as the next step, talk to me, tell me what your circumstances are. I'm always willing to work with people to meet them, you know, where their financial resources allow them to invest right now. Um, At the same time, if my community isn't the community for you, go find one, build one. Don't do this work alone. We hear a lot about self-care, but self-care is not what's going to heal the world. (laughs) Um, We really do need connection and we need support. And we need to know that there are others going through this, that that it's not just us, that we're not alone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What did they say? We uh, we experienced trauma in in relationship and we heal in relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, speaking of your community, could you share a little bit more about um, what offerings you do have in terms of one-on-ones or community offerings and uh, group programs? Just share a little bit about what you have going on. Yeah. So uh, if folks reach out or sign up on my website or my social media on Instagram, I have a free GNM course that's kind of introductory and helps them understand how the principles, the biological laws apply to chronic illness and autoimmune disease. Um, I also have an awesome masterclass that's pretty accessible for folks where I talk about the four steps that they can take to resolve conflicts, you know, to, to break that cycle of chronic symptoms. For those that are ready to take the leap and join a group program, I designed a course called the Autoimmune Resolution that I'm really proud of. Um, and it's just a really comprehensive education, not just on GNM, but then practical application of a lot of the tools that we've talked about today. A lot of the tools that you share on your podcast, um, many of the practitioners that you've already interviewed are ones that I've collaborated with and that I refer people to who want you know, even more help. And then, of course, I do work with some people one-on-one um, where I do like an in-depth consultation 
or uh, three to six month coaching packages, you know, if they kind of want the fast track to getting to the root of the different conflict, uh, conflicts and coming up with strategy and action plan moving forward. Um, and so it's, I try to meet people wherever they are, whatever they're ready for. So if you're just hearing this and getting curious, I'll meet you there and give you a little information and you can decide like whether that feels true to you or not. And if you're completely committed to this idea of GNM and you're like, I want to dive in and I want all the help, I have that available for folks too. Awesome. And you, um, I, okay. So do you have just speaking of community, do you have just, um, do you have something where people can literally just be a part of the community without being in the autoimmune resolution program? Yes. And so that's through the organization that I mentioned that originally started as a nonprofit, but is no longer, uh, but we kept our mission and it's called the chronic wellness collective. And so we offer a really affordable monthly membership for folks that want to connect with other women that are at the same, you know, point on this journey. Mm, awesome. I like that it's chronic wellness instead of chronic illness. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, do you have anything that you're just, you know, one super passionate about sharing that I haven't asked you yet and given you a chance to share or two, maybe it's just something that you know is because you're probably getting people reaching out to you all the time. So maybe you just know there's a common theme, like a lot of people always reaching out to you, asking the same question. And maybe you just want to share that uh, here with everybody collectively um, at once. Yeah. There's two questions that I get a lot. The first question is always, you know, what's the conflict related to my symptoms? And to answer that, I recommend checking out my masterclass. Uh, it's just like kind of a straight shot to help you identify that for yourself without having to invest in a consult with me. But the second question I get asked a lot is, you know, how do I fix this? Or can you fix this? Have you ever worked with someone like me and seen them get better? Yes, the answer is always yes. Like, as I said, our bodies are designed to heal. They want to heal. We just have to give them the support that they need to do that. And in my experience, that looks like designing a life that we don't have to escape or run away from. Um, and so really, I, I want to spread a message of hope that's so different from the message that's usually delivered with a diagnosis when you're told this is permanent and you need to be um, on medications the rest of your life. I, I challenge people to, you know, take advantage of the power of choice and choose to believe that maybe there is a different way. And maybe that isn't the whole truth. Maybe it isn't the only truth. And to be willing to open their minds and explore other possibilities because really the potential there uh, is endless. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your personal experiences. Thank you for, you know, even sharing some of your, yeah, your personal like stories of the stuff that you've struggled with, or, um, I love, I just love practical examples. So I really appreciate you having those examples and sh being willing to share them and, uh, sharing your knowledge. And I thank you for being like somebody who is passionate about sharing this information with the community and making it accessible. That uh, is so important for so many people out there. So I just wanted to say thank you so much. Um, one final thing, I'd love to know where people can connect with you. 
yeah, the best place to find me is on Instagram. I hang out there a lot, probably more than I should. I'm working on my social media boundaries, but uh, I'm at Nurse Coach Catherine, and you can also check out at Chronic Wellness Collective. Awesome. Okay, well, I really do appreciate you once again. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was so fun. All right, you guys, that's a wrap. So... As I said before, that is our third episode on German New Medicine, Germanic Healing Knowledge. I do feel like I learn something new every time I have a conversation with one of these amazing guests, and I feel like I could just learn something new every day for the rest of my life. Um, it utterly fascinates me, and I'm curious what your thoughts are at this point on this principles, this, this paradigm shift, this way of um, interpreting and understanding our bodies and how we heal and symptoms. Um, whether or not you consider yourself fully healed, um, cause what does that even mean anyways? Seriously? I have no idea. Do you, <laughs> um, either way, I would love to have you as a guest on the show. If you have insight that you feel passionate about sharing, I talk to so many people who initially tell me that they have nothing to offer and nothing worthy of sharing. And that's a bunch of horse poop. Listen. If you've been on this journey exploring the ins and outs of trying different things, if you've been your own experiment, if you're learning how to take your power back, if you've been developing a loving relationship with yourself along the way, then you absolutely have an experience to share that can support or inspire somebody else on their journey. And here's the thing. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to have the spotlight all on you. I'm looking for people who are also willing to have panel discussions similar to last week's episode on movement, but around different topics that you are passionate about. So be bold and reach out to me today. It's not a commitment. It's just a conversation. And I believe in you. Don't forget to decide on that one action step that you can begin to take to turn your life into the life of your dreams. And as always, until next time, make this week great.